I was at my computer in my kind of slightly noddy way trying to screenshot all these team pages and then I made this presentation with about 25 team pages of these funds and pretty much every single one of them were all white, all male teams. It started with a, with a burning question really. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea, and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient, and more confident. But there are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money, or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave, and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the show, we have Chuck Warner, co-founder and CEO of Diversity VC, a nonprofit set up to increase diversity in the venture capital industry. If you don't know already, venture capital funds businesses of the future. Many modern businesses you know will have at some point been selected by venture capitalists to be funded. Facebook, Uber, Twitter, WhatsApp, Google, they've all been funded by venture capital. However, those making decisions in VC are not always representative of the populations they serve. As an example, women represent just 13% of decision makers in UK venture capital, and just one pence of every one pound invested goes to all female teams. Diversity VC has set out to ensure the industry is free from all bias and focuses on some of the key levers to get there, helping hiring decisions, publishing research reports, and producing Future VC, an internship program to help talented people from underrepresented backgrounds get into VC. Czech co-founded Diversity VC alongside Lillian and Travis while she was still an associate at a London-based fund. She's since gone on to enlist sponsorship from major law firms, been published in Forbes, the BBC, Bloomberg and the Financial Times, as well as recently expanding to the United States and influencing UK policy. She now works full-time running her own fund, Ada Ventures, a £27 million fund focused on finding overlooked founders and overlooked markets, whilst running Diversity VC out of hours. We talked about why you should get others involved early, how to structure your time, and why she keeps track of nice comments. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you. Great to be here. So we first started Diversity VC back in the end of 2016. And it's always the revisionist history for when these things actually get started because we officially date it to March 2017. Um, but actually, the, the idea started even earlier than that. And it was a result of starting in a in a VC firm and going to lots of events and meeting lots of people in conferences and just seeing that everyone was the same everyone looked the same everyone sounded the same everyone came from the same background and it just didn't seem like a great way for uh, the industry to be investing in the best future talent and technology so I met up with a, a woman called Lillian who was running something called ladies in VC dinners 
And there were some women in VC at that time. And I spoke to her about this idea of putting something together, which was genuinely going to try to address the lack of diversity in VC and tech. And we got together on a Saturday, we sort of whiteboarded it out. And we decided at the end of that session that the first thing we should do is some kind of event. And that led to uh, a sort of fireside chat with some amazing people in the industry. And that was the birth of what became Diversity VC. It's quite an interesting way of, of starting something for people who are thinking about it. Because we spent, you know, I think a couple of months just trying to figure out what the best way of beginning this thing would be. But the event made it really tangible and real. And it also gave us a kind of burning platform of a problem because the energy and the sort of urgency that came through when we did this event about how badly something was needed just spurred us on hugely. And I think that that's the kind of fire that's been driving Diversity VC ever since. Um, and it really started out with a PowerPoint deck. And the deck consisted of screenshots of websites of VC firms, of the team pages of those websites. and. That was the sort of kernel because the frustration that I felt and I think Lillian felt and Travis felt was that we didn't know what was actually happening. We didn't have the data. We didn't, we saw it, we observed it, but it was incredibly frustrating that there was nothing tangible we could point to that said, this is what's wrong or, or not working about this industry. So I was at my computer in my kind of slightly noddy way trying to screenshot all these team pages and then I made this presentation with about 25 team pages of these funds and pretty much every single one of them were all white all male teams and then that led us to okay screenshotting websites isn't a great way to communicate that that's the problem but what if we could do some kind of data scraping on those websites what if we could then create some sort of data study which then tangibly showed what the diversity problem in VC was so it started with a with a burning question really it was actually called the pattern project which is an absolutely awful name and I'm, I'm so glad that someone told us that it was a terrible name told me and at the time, there were a lot of organizations that were looking at women, for example, in finance or women in technology. But the reason for calling the organization Diversity VC was because we quite quickly got the feedback that starting with everybody in your lens of focus was incredibly important. So not picking, not prioritizing one group over another. And it sounds obvious now looking back on it, but I'm so pleased that not only did we start with looking at everyone, but also we started with bringing everyone from all different sort of representative backgrounds and types of diversity into our team. So it, it wasn't a sort of hierarchical approach. I think a lot of people start side projects on their own. What's your view on when to find other people and how to find them? A lot of people do start side projects on their own and they keep it on their own for a long time. And I have a relatively maybe different view from other people on this. I think that it's incredibly important to involve other people as soon as possible. You might find that other people are already doing what you're trying to do and it's far better to join up with them than create all these little things that are doing the same thing in silos. And I know a lot of people like to keep their ideas to themselves and work on something in a darkened room, but I think the sooner you can get other people challenging your ideas, Secondly, actually figuring out if there's anyone else already doing this better than you or who you could collaborate with and join up with. Because ultimately, side projects are something that are always going to be really pushed and stretched for time. And if you can join the efforts of someone else who's 
already up and running, then that's awesome. And then I think thirdly, accountability. You know, having other people who can provide you that accountability is a way for that side project to progress. And I think I've seen so many side projects myself included, some of the ones I haven't kind of pursued, sort of die because you've not had anyone else around you who's saying, hey, well, you know, what about that thing you said you were going to do? So I think, you know, more the merrier. And then diversity of thought, you know, getting people with different perspectives on your idea will help stop you going down a, a false alleyway. We did set up a website really early on. It was a Squarespace website. I think it maybe cost £100 or something to set it up. And, and then the domain name as well. And I remember contacting a friend who was at a, a VC called Backed, and they had the domain backed.vc. And I said, oh, that's great, you know, having a .vc domain. It would be great for Diversity VC. So I contacted him and asked him how he got the domain. And so that's how we got Diversity VC as a domain. And then we had this very crap website which just sort of said we're trying to promote inclusion and diversity in the venture capital industry or something to that effect and it was really helpful because it gave us some sort of legitimate presence online that people could go and look up Um, and it was you know then about creating a logo which we got on people per hour which I think cost us maybe a hundred pounds and we still have that logo we haven't changed it since (laughs) someone did a great job it's very simple but again you're having a logo that you could have on linkedin that created a umbrella for an organization meant that when we asked people to be involved they saw the linkedin logo and sort of little description as one of the benefits that they got out of giving up their time for free we do actually have a board Um, And we did start that again from day one. And it was incredibly punchy because it was amazing people who we had no real right to have involved. But I think this goes back to something that maybe we'll talk about. But the power of the mission, I think, encouraged people to get on board who really were far too high profile and far too impressive to, you know, uh, for us to sort of deserve having involved. And, and we don't pay anyone um, for their involvement, but we have these quarterly meetings with this board. And it's very much about us talking about what we've done a little bit, but what we want to do, more importantly, and getting their input and getting their challenge, which I think is really healthy. And it's the only way that we move forward because we have these forks in the road where we constantly have to present to these people and say this is what we said we were going to do this is what we have done and this is what we want to do in the future Um, so I think that that's an amazing idea and then you know make sure you surround yourself with people who are prepared to tell you that your idea is crap and you're not working on the right thing but they can only tell you that if you tell them what your idea is and I really get frustrated when people don't share what they're working on because you're never going to be able to achieve anything if you just keep it to yourself. And would you recommend that other projects, uh, like creative projects or projects which aren't non-profits, follow the same structure? Um, And how do you actually go about finding the people? Yeah, we were quite structured because we set out to be a non-profit, which you have to have quite a lot of structure around. Um, And we ultimately knew we were going to raise sponsorship at some point. And so we sort of needed to be you know, set up in the right way, have the right governance, have the right professionalism. Um, But in terms of finding the people, I mean, I look back and I think, I mean, we were so audacious, we just contacted people kind of out of the blue without knowing them, including we sent an email to a guy who just wrote a blog post about being different within venture. 
and just said, look, that resonated so much. Would you be prepared to come to our event, actually? And that was, again, going back to the event, that was a great way to enfranchise him in the mission and to understand what his perspective was. And then, you know, I think small commitments lead to bigger commitments. And so if you get someone to your event and get them excited, then they're far more likely to say yes when you say, now can you give me two hours every quarter for the next three years, which is what this guy has ended up doing. That's the thing about side projects. I think if they're authentic and they're something that you genuinely care about, they allow you to tap into people who also believe the same thing. Do you think having the project of Diversity VC allowed you to connect with people that you otherwise wouldn't have met? Absolutely. Having this mission has taken me to places and has taken us as a team to places and and to speak to people who we would absolutely never have the opportunity to be in a room with. And you're right, it has to be authentic. I think it has to be something you live, breathe and totally believe. Otherwise, people see through it. Um, So you can't just co-opt a mission because you think, oh, that will allow me to get to Mm. X. But I think if you do have an authentic mission, which other people resonate with, then, you know, a cold email. I cold emailed a guy who I'm still in contact with who's been incredibly valuable and helpful along the way. On the Diversity VC website, uh, you can tell that there's a kind of real strength of purpose, uh, which is quite defined. So, you know, the idea to get diverse voices in the room uh, and use your responsibility as members of the investment community to do that, um, which feels quite different um, in some ways to how side projects often begin. You know, which might be a sense that this thing should exist in the world, but not quite knowing what format it should take. Uh, do you think that with Diverse DVC it was slightly different uh, and you knew what the endpoint was from the beginning or was it a kind of more roundabout story? Yeah, I think lots of great projects are post-rationalised after the event and people say, oh yeah, no, I always had this plan and it was always going to look like this. And and that can really intimidate people, I think, who are starting out thinking about side projects. And the reality is with 99% of cases, it was a result of curiosity or experimentation or trying something and then you happen to hook into something and suddenly it all takes off and you get money and you can build a fancy website and you can look like it's all great. But yeah, when we first, I think, began it, it was a sort of series of dinners. It was you know one event. It was one report that we wanted to create. And you know it's still a very small organization, so I don't want to overstate the uh, impact. But now it maybe feels like it's something bigger and, and more organized than that. So I think, you know, to anyone listening to this thinking, I must have a complete vision for how this will look in three years. No, no, definitely, you know, pull the string and pull the thread of curiosity. And if you hook into something, then then pursue it as far as it goes. But if you don't, then that's also fine. And you can move on to the next thing that you're going to do. Did you have any criticism from people around you? You know, did you have those moments where you thought this is just not a thing and it's probably just not going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. There were two moments of um, quite, well, two areas of criticism that we got in the early days. One was around this should not be for diversity. That's too broad. You're trying to tackle too much. It's going to be too unfocused. You should pick one thing, which is women, for example, because that's the most visible and most immediate uh, challenge. And so I'm so pleased that we stuck to our guns on that and didn't do that and stayed true to the mission. I think the second thing was around, should this be a non-profit? And we were told that this should be a for-profit um, and it will never work. No non-profit has ever 
worked, which is a bizarre thing to think or say. Um, but again, I'm really pleased that even when we were very small and very fragile, we stuck to what we believe was right. Um, and I think it's so easy for one's head to be turned when you go and speak to really high profile influential people. And, and and this is a flip side of the getting people involved thing, is that you have to be super careful about people with very strong views who are coming from very credible places, who are sort of going to change and turn your idea. No, you've got to stick to your idea. And if there's someone who you think is trying to take it in a direction that's not authentic to you, absolutely do not work with that person. Only work with people who are celebrating and trying to improve and hone your idea for what it is, not transform it into something that they want it to be. Mm. I think especially, you know, in the early days, you do tend to invite a lot of opinions. Uh, so it's quite difficult to filter out which ones are useful uh, and which ones are not so useful. Because the ones from people who are more credible uh, can actually be more tempting, even if they don't really have any idea uh, what what you're aiming to do. Definitely, and there's lots of reasons why people want to be involved in things, especially things that have a really strong social mission. And those reasons aren't not always great ones. You know, people quite like to be involved in something that gets into the headlines. They like to be seen to be doing something that does good. And you know, we've had it a few times with people, which is a reflection of success in some ways, wanting to get involved or saying that they are involved, bizarrely, even though they're not. And them not, not being the right people and not actually having any of the right behaviours or intentionality around the stuff that we're actually trying to target. And so we've had to be quite, I wouldn't say sort of, uh, when, we've just been quite specific about the people that we want to work with and who we will associate Diversity VC with, because otherwise it just becomes a plaything or a, a brand or a, <clears throat> a logo that anyone can just co-opt. Um, and, and that's something to be quite careful of. And how do you go about filtering people who are involved? Because I guess one of the challenges with side projects is that, you know, you often don't have much time, uh, or at least not the same amount of time you would if it was a full-time job, to structure the jobs and the roles. Yeah, I think we've got it wrong, you know, several times, and I think we'll probably get it wrong again. Uh, I think with anything, just spending time with the people and trying to really get to know them before you take the leap of working with them or maybe even working with them on a kind of consultancy basis paying them a kind of contracting fee if they're if they're a paid person and just getting to know them over time because it's so difficult to judge in a one you know hour interview whether that person is doing this for the right reasons or has the right intention or, or has enough time frankly to make this um contribution successfully so yeah it's it's a really tricky one and I can empathize with people who just want anyone to get involved and help them. We've done structured interviews. Um, we have also taken the approach of people who cold emailed and said, hey, I want to get involved. So, uh, you know, there's no real um, black and white on that in terms of which type has been better than the other. Uh, it's just that I think what's important is that we try to stay quite open and every process we've run of, of any kind of formal role has been open um, to anyone. And with the partnerships that you've secured, what tips would you give people who are, you know, also looking to raise sponsorship that's made the process easier for you? Something I'm really keen that people look into when thinking about side projects is thinking about nonprofit as a structure because 
I think a lot of people go straight to this has to be commercial, this has to be a business, this has to make money. And I think some of the best movements in the whole world that have made the most impact have been completely nonprofit. And it just doesn't seem to be something people consider in the same way as they do a limited company. So, and, and I think there are a lot of organizations out there that want to sponsor and they want to do more um, and it's really good for their employer brand. So I'd think about who the organizations might be in the ecosystem who might have a vested interest in trying to be involved with the uh, idea that you're creating. And we did that with Diversity VC and we've ended up working with Cooley LLP, which is a brilliant firm, an American law firm that work with VCs and are very passionate and very authentically passionate about this topic. And so it felt like a really good fit to have them as our partner in this. Um, so you know, take your time and really try and zero in on who has an authentic mission and reason for this and who's also going to get tangible financial benefit from it as well. In the early days of setting up Diversity VC, uh, we met through Balderton, which is a VC fund um, who Anna, who's one of our co-founders, was working at. We met a guy called Ben Goldsmith, who now runs an agency called Goldsmith Communications. But literally from that first breakfast, he put his hand up and said, I want to help with this. And you need a lot of help with structuring your messaging, with you know talking about what you're trying to do. But this could be a really powerful message to the media. And he was just so good at what he does and so expert in how to package up messages and get them out to the press. It's been transformational for us. I think without that, we would never have been able to have the impact that we've had. So again, it's about getting people involved early and you know, punching above your weight in terms of some of the people that you can um, get involved, particularly if you have a mission that resonates with people. And talking about side projects in general, um, do you think having one has made you know any impact on you in terms of things like learning new skills, improving confidence? What's your view on the value of doing stuff on the side? I could not be a bigger advocate of out of hours work and side projects. I think it's amazing what you're doing with out of hours, and um, you know I am such a supporter because I think it creates so much cross-pollinization between all the different things that you are thinking about and doing. And again, I mean, I probably sound like a broken record, but diversity of thought, different perspectives, different viewpoints really help you to be better at your day job. They help you to be better in relationships. And the more that you can open up your world and your social circle and your perspective, the better. And I, you know, have I think probably always done a bit of it. But I also think, you know, we live in a world that has a lot of challenges at the moment. We don't necessarily, one of my big beliefs is that people don't believe in themselves enough about the power that they have to change the world. And I do really strongly believe that ind individuals have a huge amount of influence and can change the world in amazing ways. And I think people dismiss their, their own impact and they dismiss the fact that they might have time to do a side project and and so I really love the fact that you're doing this and you're helping to break down the barriers for people starting their own new things. Speaking of time because uh, I think that is one of the biggest things that people bring up uh, both as a genuine challenge to starting a side project uh, and sometimes as an excuse. Um, do you have any tips on how best to make time? Uh, I know that some people will do the work kind of 
you know after work or maybe on the commute or some people actually take holiday to work on I it. I think me, Lillian, Travis, Ben, most of the people who work with Diversity VC are doing it in our spare time. And um, we all have full-time jobs that are pretty full-on and intense. So we do it in the evenings, we do it on weekends, we do it in holidays. Um, and I think that you know, it's it's really about whether you care enough to prioritize those things. And and there's always going to be times where you just can't and you have to just focus on what you're doing as your as your day job. Um, and, and I'm also aware that, like, with doing this, you know, you have to have a certain amount of privilege in the sense of you have to have a stable job, you have to have an income if you're going to start a nonprofit. It's not something you can do, anyone can do. Um, but I guess, you know, I don't have kids, I don't have other things in my life that would take up that time and so it's been a great opportunity to do something like this at this point in my life um how do you fit it in i don't know what the answer is i just i guess you just do it and then you just do it in yeah in the evenings and, and whenever and i think this the sort of um tempo or sort of structure we have with diversity vc is we quite often work in sort of spikes that so will do a report or work on that and that will be about delivering that project. And so for sort of a three, four month period, that will be quite intense, but then we'll also then have some sort of downtime and then go back to trying to make our jobs back on track again and then go back to another project. I'm, I'm curious whether, you know, committing in advance to a structure um, actually helps people stay accountable. I know you said that with the board, you know, that those kind of regular check-ins helped you. Um, and I'm especially curious, you know, in those early days when the project's not asking for your time, um, you know, through, let's say, emails from people or uh, inbounds? I do think I'm a very structured person. I love <laughs> lists and I love kind of dividing up time. And for me, I don't actually do, do this anymore, but I used to have something, which in hindsight sounds a bit sort of militant, but it was Saturdays were fun and Sundays were work. And so I think I did quite a lot of diversity VC things sort of between the hours of 12 and 6 on a Sunday. And then I quite often you know, do something nice in the evening or something just to sort of make it feel like it was still the weekend. But I think that that worked as a way of dividing up the week and then feeling like you could go into the next week with the backlog of stuff that you hadn't quite managed to do in the week on diversity VC dealt with and then come back to it the next week. So, you know, that's worked for me. But you know, everyone is, is slightly different. So figure out something, a system that works for you. There's that quote, uh, which is, you often feel tired, not because you've done too much, but because you've done too little of what sparks a light in you. Um, and you can sometimes overwork. I think it's good to be aware of when something becomes a chore uh, and question why that becomes a chore. Uh, as I think side projects, especially at the beginning, you know, they should be quite joyful definitely and so energizing i find it so energizing and especially when you see the impact that it has on other people and and the comments that you get from people and and i think that's something that is is a good discipline to have um reminding yourself of all the great work that you're doing by other people's comments so i have a little bit in my inbox that's like a folder that says just nice and it's like people who said nice stuff about something I've been working on. Um, but we get lots of amazing comments about some of the work we do with Future VC, for example, which is the internship program that we run. And I think just coming back to that is a good way to keep it being energizing and not feeling like a chore. But I found, you know, personally, when I've been the most productive, when I've had 
things where I look back and I think, my God, how how has that happened? It's always been when I've been the busiest. So I think cramming lots of things in makes you more efficient to a point. Obviously, you don't want to burn out and work too hard. But if you can strike that balance, it can be an amazingly productive zone. Um, tell me a bit more about Future VC. So Future VC is something that we ran for the first time this year, it's something we wanted to do from day one of starting Diversity VC, because one of the problems that we saw was that all of the recruitment in VC happened through personal networks, connections. My uncle runs a VC fund, and so I started working in it. This is not me. This is an example of someone <laughs> <laughs> hypothetical. Um, so Future VC was about changing that system and about creating a pathway for people who come from diverse backgrounds from all over the country, from all kinds of different uh, parts and socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, LGBT, uh, ethnic minorities, women, and creating a program that ran for two months. Um, it was five weeks this year, it will be two months next year, that is paid with some of the top VC funds in the country. So we actually did, um, Local Globe uh, was one of the funds that took two of our future VCs. And we had Balderton and we had White Star and we had loads of brilliant funds uh, participating in it. And it has been probably the most high impact thing we've done because those 20 people otherwise would not have had this opportunity to work in funds. And we've had one of them actually have a job offer from a top tier, best one of the best funds in the UK. So I think looking back on this year, that is going to be the thing that I'm going to feel most proud of. So we're speaking a few days after Ada Ventures has raised $34 million, uh, which is your own VC fund. Uh, founded with Matt, who was your colleague at your previous fund. Do you think uh, Ada Ventures would have happened this quickly if you hadn't set up Diversity VC? You know, because it's a fund set up for funding underserved markets and outlier founders. Uh, and that feels, you know, quite similar to the mission of Diversity VC. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely think Diversity VC is a massive part of the Ada Ventures story. And I'd be totally naive to think otherwise. It's definitely not, you know, I didn't set out two years ago thinking I would do this. Um, but, you know, as it's played out, what happened with Diversity VC, I think, you know, both Travis, Lillian, Ben, Farouk, Anna, all of us found that there was this amazing amount of uh, pull from the industry that there was something that was needed that was doing this. And then all the statistics that you see, you know, 89p in every pound invested in the UK went to all male founding teams, just 1p went to all female teams, 13% partners are, are women, and that hasn't changed in two years, really underrepresented in terms of ethnic minorities, 72% of capitals invested in London. All of these stats bear out the fact that there is this massive, massive problem. And I think that Diversity VC's work has actually been part of highlighting that. And so it's given us the opportunity with Ada to come in and say, we have something which is addressing those problems. I, I think in, in some ways, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Diversity VC going forward, because um, in some ways, now running a fund myself, I, I feel like it's important and, and I've talked about it with the rest of the co-founding team that the uh, organization is constantly renewed with people who are coming from a bit more of a challenger perspective in terms of where the industry needs to get to and people who are coming in who are younger, who are associates, which is w where I started when we started Diversity VC. And I met amazing people through Diversity VC who have been involved with the ADA journey. 
it's been an amazing way to um, be exposed to all of the brilliant entrepreneurial but overlooked communities that are out there that really want a fund that's dedicated to them. And, and it's not a million miles away from a lot. A lot of people pitch Diversity VC actually as a fund because they think it's a VC fund. Um, and along the way, a few people said to us, you should raise a VC fund. But I think it's important that that it's not that. And it is a nonprofit and it it does a role for the industry, which is about independence and about accountability. And ADA is very different to that. With ADA, we are looking for globally impactful solutions to some of the world's biggest problems and we're particularly looking for overlooked founders and overlooked markets and what we mean by that is people who have not received their fair share of venture capital funding in the past and people who are building products and services for people and markets that haven't had products and services built for them so one example is the aging population which is a huge area of the of the population and one that has a lot of of challenges and opportunities, but there are very few founders relatively working on solutions for that population. So we are yeah looking for things that could impact you know up to a billion people. It's really about these kind of moonshot ideas, but targeting these these overlooked areas and overlooked people. I saw a study recently that showed that businesses that started as side projects, uh, something that I think they called hybrid entrepreneurship. Um, but these businesses started on the side actually shown to be 33% more likely to succeed than those who started full-time. In your experience, do you think businesses that start as side projects are at a disadvantage or do you think it's a strength? I think there's huge strength in starting as a side project because it's a pure mission when it's a side project and it's about delivering and understanding what value you're delivering to your customers, to your target audience. And one of the things that we look for with ADA when we're investing, and particularly in consumer companies, is community. A sticky community is an engine of value for that business because you don't then have to acquire customers every single time. You have people giving you feedback on product. You have a you know fan base that's going to tell all their friends about what you do. And I think with side projects, that is something you have to have because when you first start, you maybe can't make money from it or you're not trying to make money from it. So you have that authentic community. So I think it's a great place to start a business, um, starting it as a side project. What advice would you give for people thinking of starting a side project? First of all, to do it, just start something, start somewhere. And you can always you know, rip it up afterwards, but it's much easier to cross out than it is to just look at a blank sheet of paper for hours and hours on end. The second thing I'd say is create some system of accountability, create a plan. You know, I think one of the most powerful things I ever did for myself, regardless of side projects, was making a one, three and five year plan. And I think having a plan, even if you differ from it, even if you never look at it again, helps you to structure your, your thinking. The third thing I say is have an authentic mission and put that in the plan. Again, I think something that's really helped me is to think about what is it that I'm really trying to do? What, what's the needle I'm trying to move over the course of 10 years? And that's allowed me to line up everything I'm doing with Diversity VC, ADA, other things I'm working on, and feel like nothing is pulling in different directions. It's actually all part of one ongoing mission. Um, and then I think finally, as we talked about at the beginning, bring people along the journey get people's challenge, get people's input, 
ask people for help and don't be afraid that you might fail or they may think it's a stupid idea. Just ask them. There's, there's no downside. For people who find the idea of a five-year plan intimidating or, you know, hard to imagine, um, how would you advise people find the things that they're passionate about or, you know, interested in? You can look back at what you've done before and what you found most energising, what you found most interesting in your life and try and kind of triangulate from that what that mission might be. And, you know, again, it, it can change, but I think creating a sort of filter that is a lens through which you look at every new opportunity that comes your way is so, so helpful because... It's so overwhelming. There are so many things you could be doing at any one point. And you look around, you're on Twitter, you're seeing all these people doing amazing things. And you think, God, should I be doing that or that or that? But going back and centering yourself on, okay, what is my authentic mission? What am I trying to do? And then everything that isn't going to help you to do that, you can just say no to. And it's incredibly freeing once you get to that point. Um, So I think going back, looking at what what you've liked, what you've disliked, and then writing it down and trying it out for size and then seeing is is much better than, than not doing it and kind of burying your head in the sand. And how do you structure it? You know, is your mission a one-liner or a word or, you know, a few goals? Mine is, is about everything I do is about empowering people to realise their full potential. And it's a way to um, think about what I do with Diversity BC, it's a way to think about what I do with Ada and then, you know, anything more, even stuff in my social life, even stuff that comes along that could be about volunteering opportunities or, or charitable or, or whatever it is. You know, ideally, if you can push it all through that filter, then your life is just a lot simpler. I think it's also about the people that you are also energised by spending time with and trying to assess that as well. Like what what makes you feel really good when you meet up with someone or, or, or when you look at your calendar and you think, oh, I'm meeting up with that person. Like, is that person really exciting me or is that person actually kind of making me feel like, oh, no, I have to <laughs> see them. And, and that, you know, all these things are, are little data points that you can, you know, your reaction, your response, your authentic reaction response is something to really be tuned into and listen to. There's actually an exercise you can do um, where you write a long list of all the people you see and all the things you do on a regular basis. Um, and then you go through it again. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit ruthless. Um, and you tick the ones that energise you uh, and you cross the, one, the ones that drain you. It's, it reminds me of Marie Kondo because she, you know, her whole philosophy is about selecting things, holding them up and you know, looking at them and saying, does this bring you joy? And it's about decluttering. And I think it, it's more and more important one of the things I find happens a lot to me still is, is just being incredibly overwhelmed. Um, and I think that the effects of social media and Slack and having four different channels and three different emails and also the onslaught of like 24-hour news is just absolutely impossible for our tiny brains to process. And I think the more that you can sort of have a centering, does this bring me joy or is this you know, part of my mission, the better. And, and I actually have something that's on my laptop and it has been for the last 18 months. It just says the power of no, because that's also something which I think is so important to constantly remind yourself of is that you will never achieve anything that you want to achieve if you just say yes to absolutely everything, regardless of what it is. You know, it's great to say yes and be enthusiastic, but it's also really great to know when you have to say no. 
Well, thanks for spending your time with Out of Hours. Sticker didn't uh, get in the way of that one. <laughs> Still on there. Love Out of Hours. I'm so thrilled that it exists and I love what you're doing. Let it spread as far and wide as possible. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. To hear more about Out of Hours, sign up to our newsletter at outofhours.org. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review. It really helps. 